morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. Have any of you ever reconnected with someone that you knew a long time ago? Or uh, maybe you follow them on social media um, and you look at their highly successful life and you feel like a failure? Uh, maybe they make more money than you do. Maybe they started a very successful business. Uh, maybe they became famous. Or maybe it's even their kids. Like, like their kids ended up being way more successful than your kids. Um, they ended up going to better schools, getting better jobs, or, or whatever. So I went to high school with a guy, um, I won't share his name, who ended up becoming a multi-billionaire, like billionaire, several billion dollars. Um, he's been in all kinds of magazines, uh, Forbes, Wired magazine. Um, in high school, we were in several classes together. Um, we were in the gifted program together. Difference is, I was just barely smart enough to get in. He was the smartest one in there. So a couple years ago, uh, I looked him up online, and I spent the evening reading about all of his accomplishments. And it made me feel depressed. Like, it took me a couple days to get out of that funk. So, in addition to this, like, uber-successful guy I went to high school with, uh, there were some people I went to college with, like, they studied opera with me. If you're new here, uh, before I was in ministry, I was an opera singer. Um, so, people that I, I went to college with who are now making well over $10,000 a night singing opera. Like, opera tickets aren't cheap. Back in the early 90s, I remember I paid $100 uh, to, for a nosebleed seat in a giant auditorium to see Pavarotti. Um, like, way up high. And that was 100 bucks. So, more temptation to play the comparison game. While most of you may not have uh, had someone you graduated with become a multi-billionaire, or friends you went to college with making 10 grand a night, uh, I'm sure most of you can relate to comparing yourself with others and perceiving them as having been more successful than you. We can do it with our jobs, we can do it with our net worth, we can do it with our physical appearances. We can even do it, like I said, through comparing our children's accomplishments. Uh, through all this, we tend to like, compare ourselves with others and, and like, rank ourselves with others. We see it every time we run into someone we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, we start sharing our updates. We, uh, Oh, you, you got that award? Oh, you live in that neighborhood? Oh, your kid's going to that college? Right? It can f feels like small talk, but how we answer these questions can reveal a lot about what we value, what we consider important. 
And oftentimes what we value and what God values are very, very different. Uh, We see in today's scripture, Mary, uh, we assume it's Mary, her name isn't specifically mentioned in the scripture, but her name is mentioned in other gospels that tell this story. Um, Mary has an alabaster jar filled with pure nard. It's It's like very expensive perfume. It was estimated to be worth about 300 denarii, which is uh, about 300 days wages. So in today's terms, I did the math, if using a minimum wage of say, just a little bit over $10 an hour, uh, Mary's nard was worth approximately $24,000. So contrast this with the end of today's scripture where Judas goes to the priest to arrange to betray Jesus for some money. How much money? Matthew's gospel says it was 30 pieces of silver. So again, I looked it up and I did the math. Um, That's about equivalent to 120 denarii, or roughly about $10,000 in today's terms. So Mary shows her love and worship by extravagantly pouring out something worth almost a year's wages onto Jesus, while Judas betrays Jesus for much less. Essentially, a huge sum of money gets poured out in an extravagant act of worship to Jesus, while a somewhat less sum of money gets exchanged for betraying Jesus. It's an interesting contrast between an act of worship, one that glorified Jesus, and an act of a self-serving act, one that betrayed Jesus. It causes us to wonder, um, what is, when it comes to what is valuable and what is not, Uh, What if God has a totally different way of looking at things than we do? What if he places great value on things that we don't? What if the things we value aren't that important to God? Or perhaps will even lead us down a path of destruction like Judas. So there's a saying... In God's city, the inhabitants love people and walk on gold, while in man's city, the inhabitants love gold and walk on people. One thing that is abundantly clear in Scripture is that God values us more than stuff. I don't think anyone would disagree with that statement, but it's interesting how often we don't live that way. Um, Instead, we find ourselves following the values of the world, the world that values our net worth, our profession, our education, and our accomplishments more than we value people. But God loves and values people immensely more than we can even realize. And it's interesting, he doesn't love us because of what we do, Um, He loves us because of who he is. 
Scripture says that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Some might say that God loves us because we're made in his image. Um, Certainly every person is made in the image of God. But God doesn't love us because we're made in his image. Um, We are made in his image because he loves us. If God loves us primarily because we're made in his image, then that would mean that he would have to love us less now that sin has tainted his image in us. So God loves because he is love, an unfailing love, and because he chooses to do so. If this is true, if God loves us because of his character and not ours, um, then that means several things. But one consequence of that is this. Our value is contingent upon what we worship. Our value is contingent upon what we worship. Jeremiah 2.5 says, This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. So our worth and our value is equal to what or to whom we worship. And since all these things that society says are important, um, our accomplishments, our income, even our kids' accomplishments, um, when we place a higher value on these things than our identity in Christ, when these things become more important to us than our relationship with Christ, they become idols. And idols are worthless, right? No matter how much the world says otherwise, um, these things have no true love to give. And when I worship them, rather than worshiping God, I only have what they have to give me, which is essentially nothing. Living in this world can be a lot like uh, being an item in an auction. Um, There are always tons of bidders, right? Idols yelling for our attention. Um, Idols that yell at us like people in an auction. And they they can drown out the voice of God, promising us things that never actually can pay, right? But as you know, you know this, God is the wealthiest, right? And he already paid the highest price on the cross at Calvary. And we should go with the highest bidder, right? Not the loudest bidder, but the highest. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 say, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11, I want us to look at it in two different translations, in the NIV and the ESV. So Jeremiah 2, 11 in the NIV says, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. In the ESV it says, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. 
So when we look at both of these translations together, we can see the meaning of this verse is that God is the people's glory. And when they stopped worshiping him, they stopped being glorious themselves. They lost their value because they changed, in the ESV, they changed their glory, which is their glorious God in the NIV, for that which does not profit in the ESV, which is worthless idols, the NIV. What we end up focusing on, what we end up worshiping, um, affects our sense of identity as well. Psalm 115 verse 8 says, those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So the world values talent, beauty, money, success, and if we don't achieve these, we feel like we're not worth much. Even if we know better, right? We know that God's word tells us otherwise. When we are facing the comparison game, we can believe the lie of the enemy that we're not valuable, that we don't measure up. Or worse, this is worse, we feel that we're all of that because we have achieved those things. But we need to remember to see ourselves from God's perspective, okay? If you hear nothing else today, you need to hear this. You are of great value to God, okay? Your value comes from this very fact that he loves you. Okay? And because he loves you, he made you in his image. Now, certainly if you're like me, that image is flawed, right? We live in a fallen world, but we were made in the image of, of God who is holy, he is good, he is wise, he is beautiful, and he is generous. Um, his economy is not the same as this world's. What he values is not the same as this world. So the value of something uh, is based on someone's willingness to pay it or to exchange something for it. Okay? Uh, one of my hobbies um, I've had for the past few years is I like to buy, sell, and trade watches. It's just one of my hobbies. Uh, it started in 2017 um, when my, after my father passed and I received his watch. Um, it's not a fancy watch. It was a Timex. Uh, the steel band that was on it was all scratched, so I replaced it with a NATO strap. Um, for some reason, though, uh, receiving my dad's watch triggered an interest in me in watches. So since then, 2017, I've probably uh, bought and sold a few hundred watches over the past five years. Uh, I try to buy low, try to sell high, so I can get a little profit, so that this, this hobby essentially pays for itself. And the cool thing is I get to wear like these watches basically for free until I decide to sell them again and hopefully make a little profit. So I bought and sold watches on eBay. I've used different Facebook groups. Um, the watch I made, made the most profit on, I think I paid like 150 bucks for this watch, and I sold it for 300. 
uh, I sold to someone I met at the gym. It's interesting, I've, I've done this enough and I've seen enough where, where I, I have a sense for like what these watch brands should sell for. And every once in a while, you come across like a newbie who tries to sell a watch for the MSRP, uh, which can be a super ridiculous amount, right, that nobody's going to pay. So for instance, uh, a watch that maybe I paid 100 bucks for, and I expect to sell it for, I don't know, 130 to 150 you know, I'll see somebody, a newbie, like put it out there on eBay or something, trying to sell it for an MSRP of $1,600. Like nobody's going to pay that, right? Like that is the price on the tag, but nobody's going to pay it. And it, every time I see that, it just makes me chuckle, right? So the point is, it doesn't really matter what the list price or what the label says. If people aren't willing to pay the price that's printed on the label, then it's probably not a correct valuation of the product, right? The same is true for us. Okay, our value, our worth, uh, is not determined by the labels that others put on us, or even by the labels that we put on ourselves. Um, our value is based on what someone's actually willing to pay or exchange for us. And you know where this is headed. Somebody already did pay a price for each of us, a very high price. So that MSRP I, I mentioned, that, that's the manufacturer's suggested retail price. Okay? There is a price set by the seller and there's a price set by the manufacturer. So imagine if I bought a watch for 100 bucks, expecting to sell it for 150, but then realizing, holy cow, like this, this watch is really worth $1,600 and the manufacturer himself is willing to pay the full price, right? Of course, God is our manufacturer and he's the one who determines our value and he stamps us with what we're worth. And what is our MSRP? His one and only son, Jesus Christ. Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus already gave his life in exchange for us. We've already been bought, we've already been paid for through the death of God's son. There is no higher price. So in essence, you need to hear this. You are priceless. You have value because God loves you. You have value because he created you. You have value because his son died for you. And if you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and chosen to follow him for the rest of your life, you are his beloved child. I want to show you a video that I found uh, that I think will help remind you of the value you have simply because you are God's child. Uh, it's a bit over five minutes long, so let's take a look. The words you are about to experience are true. 
They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you were my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. 
and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been Father, and will always be Father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad, Almighty God. So we have value just because of who we are, children of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, um, you also have value because God himself, the Holy Spirit, lives inside you. You are a treasure and you have a treasure within you. You may remember the story of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, in January 1947, a Bedouin boy named Juma uh, noticed that some of his goats that he was tending were climbing up too high on the cliffs, and this was near the shore of the Dead Sea. So Juma climbed the face of the cliff uh, to get his goats, and he discovered two openings among the thousands of caves that were up there. And he was a boy, curious. Uh, he, th he threw a rock into the opening. And the rock made a, like a cracking sound and, and made Juma wonder if there wasn't like some kind of hidden treasure in there. And so he called out to his two cousins, uh, and they also climbed up and were wondering like if there wasn't some kind of secret treasure in these caves. Muhammad, who was the youngest of the three boys, um, he got up early the next day. He went to go check it out to see if there was treasure in the cave. But once he got in the cave, uh, he was disappointed. He saw along, all on the floor, it was just covered with debris, like broken pottery. And he looked on the cave wall and he saw a number of like narrow jars uh, sitting there. And so he started opening each jar, hoping like there was gold or some, some other kind of treasure. But he only discovered like these bundles of, of scrolls wrapped in cloth. Uh, and so he went back to his cousins, and he was sad. I gave them the sad news that there was no treasure. And of course, we know today that what he discovered was probably the greatest archaeological find of the 20th century, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, biblical manuscripts that were probably a 1,000 years older than many of the ones uh, that we previously had. Our lives are like the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have an immense treasure in ordinary earthen vessels, and we say to others, and we say to ourselves, there's nothing to see here. 
Uh, in our scripture today, we see Mary anointing Jesus' body because she knew both the value of Jesus and the value of her treasure. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that treasure, his spirit, lives inside you. Um, you have a treasure within you that makes a multi-billionaire look like a pauper. But that treasure is only valuable if you realize it, if you activate it, and you use it. If you keep that treasure locked up in your earthen vessel, um, it'll sit there like those Dead Sea Scrolls sat there, right? They sat there for 2,000 years, like useless to anyone, as if they didn't even exist, right? Those, those things, even when they were first discovered, um, they weren't recognized for the priceless treasure that they were. If you refuse to acknowledge that you have this treasure within you, you refuse to, to use it, um, it will, it's almost like it will expire worthless, like a winning lottery ticket that you didn't even bother to redeem. My point is this, what does God value? He values you, and he values Christ in you. We tend to value money, possessions, status, our station in life, but God values people. Um, all of that stuff is temporal, it's finite, it's short-lived. It all fades away. But people are eternal, right? Three trillion years from now, people will still exist. He values you, hopefully you get that message, he values you, and he values those who are far away from him. Right? The three parables that are in, what, Luke 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. Um, and so if Jesus hasn't come back yet, um, it's because we still have work to do. To show love to those who are far away from Jesus, to reach those who don't know Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus, and to make disciples of Jesus. I'm sure you've heard this. Um, if you were the only one in the whole world, Jesus would have died for you. You can walk in the confident assurance that you are a precious child of God. If you're saved, you might not be rich, but you have the most important treasure in the whole wide world, and that is Jesus. Uh, but Jesus also loves that rascal you know at work, or who lives down the road from you, or that extended family member who is anything but godly. He loves them too. He died for them too. And if the scriptures are correct, if the scriptures are correct, Luke 15, 7 says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So when I find myself slipping back into the comparison game, I think the Lord reminds me that what he values, what he considers important, um, is very different from what the world values. He values you, and he values Christ in you because Christ in you, according to scripture, is the hope of glory. 
Um, Our once dead, darkened spirits are made alive in Christ. And now Christ wants to use us to share the good news of the gospel and to help bring others back into a relationship with him. Because people are eternal. All that stuff is not. People matter to God. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let's pray. Lord, so, so often we slip back into valuing the things the world values instead of what you value. We compare ourselves with others using the wrong measuring stick. Lord, help us to see as you see. Help us to recognize the treasure we have in you. Help us to see what a gift it is to share you with those who need you. Um, Whether it's sharing your love in practical ways or sharing our testimony, like the impact you've made in our lives, or sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to continue to discern the difference between what you value versus what the world values. The difference between what's eternal and what's not. Uh, Lastly, Lord, I I pray for those here who struggle with self-worth. I prayed um, that they would see how precious they are in your sight. God, that you don't make junk, you don't make mistakes, and that they have value and a calling and a purpose in your kingdom. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.